Welcome to Beyond the Sale podcast, where we believe that information without application leads to frustration. Sales is a profession and not just a job. And investing in your sales career is key to driving success. Hello, friends. My name is Ty Bello, and I'm here today as your host. And I'm joined by Mr. Jim Miller, who is a board director and CEO who works really with partnerships and collaboration across a diverse group of people. And he helps them set strategic direction. He fosters cross-functional consensus and enables transformation and attains mission success. Now, merging an extensive C-level leadership experience with a broad and diverse board director background, Jim really guides companies and their leadership to achieve strategic growth. So, Jim, welcome to today's podcast. Hey, thank you, Todd. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Very excited. Uh, folks, I just let you know, Jim and I met a couple of weeks ago for uh, for a little bit of lunch and had a great dialogue. And that is why I was just so compelled to bring him into this. I think what we're going to share today is valuable information that all of you will really want to hold on to and use. So today, I'm really asking Jim to help us open a dialogue, if you will, on business owners and how to grow your business through sales And what is the role of marketing and branding? How does that play in with sales? And finally, big thing, how to be a CEO and not just an owner. So Jim, you have an amazing background. I shared some of it already with the folks. Could you just maybe elaborate a little bit more on your business journey, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, (laughs) I do have a very interesting background, uh, and I'll try not to get into the weeds, so we'll just give a little overview. But um, I, I've been blessed to have gone through a lot of different experiences, both uh, small companies, large companies, public companies, private companies. I've done national work and international work, and so it's it's truly been a really fun journey, and, and the learning experiences have been uh, invaluable and immeasurable. But but it all started growing up on a farm in the Midwest. My dad worked full-time on the railroad, plus full-time in the fields. And so after school, I would obviously be in the fields helping dad, and on the weekends, it would be the same. And then my mother also uh, worked full-time. She started a catering business uh, almost 50 years ago, and is still at it today. And so on the weekends, if it was raining and I couldn't help dad, then I was at I was helping with weddings, anniversaries, graduation parties, other kinds of celebrations. So as a family, uh, three siblings and my parents, hard work was just a part of normal everyday life and uh, truly an incredible experience that I'm very thankful to have. Um, When I was probably 13, 14 years of age, I actually started to think about uh, maybe I don't want to be a farmer all my life. Maybe I actually want to go to college. I've heard about it, you know, as a kid, and and we what we weren't really a, a family or full of of college graduates. It was something kind of new to our farming uh, industry families. And told my dad, I said, "Hey, I, I'm thinking maybe I want to go to college someday." And his response was simply, "Do you have the money?" Well, no, I don't. <laughs> so now what? Um, well, so my dad and I sat down and he agreed to loan me enough money to buy a male pig and a female pig. Now, one can probably put two and two together that if they connected, there'll be more pigs. So I <laughs> grew that business from two pigs into 250 head. And uh, 
a couple of years later, we were in graphic arts class in school, and uh, we were supposed to start making T-shirts and padded paper and all this. And I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to do something with my my little my little pig farm, and started the an actual business and advertised it through T-shirts and notepads. And the name of my company was Making Bacon. So I thought that was you know that was the best way to identify exactly what I was doing. Um, went to college and was, uh, you know, so-so in college because I also was glad to just be away from home and uh, started off in law and then quickly changed over to business, marketing, and computer science. And right out of college had an incredible opportunity where uh, I had the chance to work for three years as the co-chief marketing officer for the world's largest popcorn company. And three years of, of incredible revenue growth and uh, travel and <laughs> an immense amount of hours being put in every single week and had some great successes there. And working both the United States and Canada and product development, package design, brought some new products to the to the marketplace that went uh, pretty much went viral. Of course, we didn't use the word viral back in those days, but <laughs> right, but it, it went extremely well. And after three years of 70 plus hours a week, I decided to make a shift to a, a, a utilities company, a company that sold and rented above ground and underground utility equipment for installing fiber optic cable and so forth across United States, Canada, uh, Mexico. So did some international work there. And uh, again, some good successes there. But about uh, 14 or 16 months into that journey, uh, at that time, I was eating at Subway three and four days every single week, and I and, and I, I just love Subway. I loved Subway. I still love Subway today. And I thought, I wonder if I could maybe buy a couple of these. Well, I did. I bought two Subways back in 1998, and then grew that to over 50 uh, throughout Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan, and still have those stores today, uh, as well as continue to do other types of work. So. Uh, I'm also a fractional uh, chief strategic officer for a, uh, a tech company that actually um, what they do best is basically virtual facilities management. It's a company called Space Intel. Uh, it's one word. And it's basically a way for people who have medical facilities, restaurants, hospitals, educational or municipal space, uh, real estate. Um, it's a way for management to be able to virtually uh, manage your facilities and uh, could be through work orders, could be through tutorial videos. It could be through uh, in the hotel industry, they call it a PIP. Uh, and then there's even departments of tourism that they're working in. But that's something I do on the side as a as a fractional CSO. And then to sum it all up, Ty, <laughs> I have also been on 25 different boards of directors, and uh, it's a space that I very much enjoy and would uh, really entertain more board work going down uh, going down the future here. And you really, really, because we've talked and I've read your CV, et cetera, it, you're scratching the surface. You haven't even gone <laughs> into the weeds yet of all the other things that you've done. Um, just just amazing career path that you've been on, journey that you've been on. And, and now maybe folks, as you're listening to this, you can understand why I think we need to connect uh, Jim with all of you so you can hear some of his perspective, some of his global perspective, if you will. 
And so let's let's talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind, Jim. Sure. You've probably experienced a little bit of this firsthand and probably uh, not just probably more than likely have. And you've come in contact with business owners who have applied kind of a sales acumen, if you will, to growing their business. And dare I say, some of them that have not applied that sales acumen to growing their business. So what is your position, your feeling, your guidance, if you would, on business business growth as it relates to having a strong sales process and structure? All right. You know, I I love the fact that you talk about sales process and structure. I was thinking about that question earlier, and I don't know if there's anything we do as humans, at least that we do with success or we do it rightfully, that doesn't require some type of, of structure or process. And I thought, well, let's talk about something that's even mundane, doing the laundry, cooking a meal. If if we're going to do it successfully, we're going to follow some type of structure or some type of process, right? So nearly every action or task we do as humans requires structure and process in order to positively succeed. And, you know, when it comes to processes and, and structure, they, they are naturally a necessity for growth and, and strong growth. But it also must be the right structure of people doing the right steps. And I like to tell people, I want, I don't just want the right people on the bus, but I want them also in the right seats mm-hmm. on that bus yeah. um, in order to ensure that our processes are correct and we're doing the best that we can. And one of the principles I like to talk with other business people about is what I call the three P's. So these are Jim's three P's, if you will, and that's people, product, and, and profit. Um, on the people side, again, you need to have the right people doing the right things. And of course, you want to pro- provide them with the right direction so that all falls in line with one another. And then when it comes to the product side, selling a reliable and qualitative product that, that consumers are happy about uh, and they want to either be a repeat customer or they are using word of mouth to tell other people about that product. That's something that you're going to have a lot of pride in selling because if there's word of mouth that this is worth buying again or having your friends and family also purchase, then you know you have a qualitative product that your consumer truly is happy to have. And then that last portion is profit, right? We have to have profit in order to to grow the company, for the company to survive, as well as profit for the company to be able to, to pay its staff. And so that obviously it's extremely important, but the two cautions I always like to throw out there when we talk about profit is that, first of all, you need to ensure that your, your profit based upon your price is correct with the, the target demographic. There are companies that truly, they'll focus on a demographic period of, for a period of time and then they stop there. They don't continue as that demographic or economy uh, scale of economy and so forth changes. They forget about them, you know, evolving their processes based upon what the consumer needs are and that consumer behavior. And then the other, which I've seen so much, especially in the restaurant industry, is the over couponing and discounting of a product, which may be fine for uh, you know maybe four weeks or six weeks to identify a new a new product or to hit a specific target audience. You want to see how they react to that product and you want them to, and you, you basically reel them in through that coupon or discount. But what I've seen, and this is very true, especially in say the pizza industry, which is 
utilizing discounting or couponing so long that for the consumer, one, it has cheapened the product. So they don't want to go back and pay full price. And two, now you've created a consumer who only expects to purchase from you when that product has been reduced in its, from its normal price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and folks will wait until they know that that's coming. I could think of a, uh, both you and I have probably shopped at this place, but there's a place that runs a certain percent sale once a month, I believe it is, and it's on a certain week of the month. And literally, I've waited until that sale was going on in order right. to go in and buy to get that discount. Right. But I've had a sale for me earlier in the month, but I've waited for that. And then it's discounted. But the you know the good news, bad news there is, right? Um, the manufacturer of said product that I would buy pays back to that company that percentage that they're giving us off. The company's still making the full profit on it. They're not, you know, the company isn't losing. Who's losing is the manufacturer of it. The bad news is I know that from being firsthand involved <laughs> in something like that, where the coupon's great for me, the consumer, but in the back door behind the, the the iron curtain or the green curtain, there is the manufacturer and the owner of that store, they're already negotiated that the owner of the store is going to be made whole on that discount. And that comes at the expense of the manufacturer, which ultimately raises our price down the road, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love how you tied in the simplicity, and it's not, of cooking a recipe, <laughs> uh, or in your case, you know, Subway, the line that you've got, which I told you I watched the, the the story of Subway and how it was created and how they transitioned from having their backs to everybody when they were making the sub, et cetera, to where they were they were face forward with the with the customers as the customers coming through. Fascinating, wonderful story. And then you also brought up Jim Collins' book, you know, having the right people in the right seat on the bus. Uh, right. And that is absolutely part of what we try to do, right? In every aspect, especially in sales. And and, and as I think of sales in this way, you know, I, I, I want to really transition a little bit, if we can, to marketing and branding. That's, that's where you got your roots, if you will, and still have your roots in many respects. And to me, the way I was taught in college was sales is the tail. Marketing and branding is the dog. But what I found in my experience in working with organizations that oftentimes we've got that reversed. Sales actually wags the dog, not the other way around. But we have come of an age now with digital and with market data, et cetera, that that's kind of changing a little bit, a little bit. And so the question is this, um, how would you... Let me say that. What's the role and maybe even an emphasis do you see both on marketing and branding playing in overall sales success today? Oh, it's 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 uh, it's to me the largest. Well, assuming that the product or the service is right, yeah. uh, it's it's everything. It's everything. Uh, even if you don't have the right sales personnel it's still the branding and the marketing that's going to bring a potential sale to the table. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if you do have the right sales personnel, then it's the right branding and the marketing helps them sell even more than perhaps what was expected of them to sell. Mm -hmm. um, so as I talked about in regards to board work, uh, a couple of the boards I'm currently on uh, are Weston resort properties that are now owned by Marriott. And this past year, we had a lot of discussions. And for me, I, I do a lot of study on, on millennials, Generation Z. And then you've got uh, just reading about Generation Alpha. Have you, do you understand Generation Alpha? A little, uh, based on our call, I went and last time we talked, I went and did a little bit of research. It's fascinating. 
Well, and I'm thinking about, first of all, how do you get the designation of Generation Alpha? Because basically in the in the Greek, it means first or primary. And I'm thinking, okay, so if you're yeah. the age of, between the ages of zero or 12 years of age right now, you are the primary. <laughs> so did we just start over as humans? Or <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Oh, but, but when you take a look at trends and, and branding and marketing, I mean, First of all, everybody knows Coca-Cola has branded the most incredible, you know, product in the or their branding is the most incredible that any company has probably ever done. Because no matter what country in the world you visit, or no matter what sports venue you go to, or or it could be a hotel or a wherever it is, you know Coca-Cola. They haven't they haven't changed their logo. They haven't changed their color. They just always know this is where we need to be for today's consumer and for tomorrow's consumer. Mm-hmm. And even then, they do not leave the rest of us. Somebody, let's say somebody that's in their 70s or 80s, it's still ingrained in their brain. They actually don't even have to brand to those age groups anymore because let's say they're 70 years of age. They basically grew up 70 years with Coca-Cola right. being uh, in front of them all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really unique now is, is looking at from say generation Y to, and gen X down to millennials and gen Z and gen A and the study and research that I'm doing and starting to implement into other brands to help them grow is what we see in millennials are, they spend a lot of time with mom and dad growing up mm-hmm. and they will follow mom and dad's trends, whether it be spending trends, travel trends, uh, leisure and so forth, but at the same time, they have a mindset to be doing something that's completely opposite or different. So really great example is my oldest daughter definitely likes to go to some of the resorts that she grew up going to because that's almost like another home or a comfort zone for her. Mm-hmm. At the same time, she sets out to travel to places place she's never been because she's never been. That's that that uh, that side of her that wants to invest in something new. And she may only go there one time and then she'll move on to another slate of where she wants to go next. And then you have the Gen Z coming up behind her and that Gen Z is less likely to follow mom and dad, but more likely to follow the older sibling Mm -hmm. because they may want to be like their older millennial sibling, but still have the mind of their own. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really cool about Gen Z that's that's the statistics are astounding is how much emphasis that they put onto or into companies or where they put their money into companies that give back. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to look at, say, Tom's shoes, where for every, you know, every pair of shoes that's purchased, there's a certain amount that goes back. There's bottled water companies where a certain amount goes back to feed those, you know, help with uh put in wells and so forth. And Gen Z has a very giving and caring heart to them, as well as there's also a selfish side of, I want it my way. (laughs) Right? So we thought we were bad. We thought we were bad. They're on steroids (laughs) when it comes to that, right? Right. (laughs) Two opposing polarities, but yet they come together. Yeah. Uh, And then you have Generation Alpha, and I'm, I'm still learning about Generation Alpha and you know, the older, older G or Gen A would be a 12 year old right now. And, and if you look at their mental process right now is they're being hit by 
by their older siblings that are Gen Z and millennial and possibly some per parent parental guidance as well. And then they have digital and social media that's streaming into their phone and into their brain through every possible omni-channel there is. <laughs> and, and it's they're drinking from a fire hose, but that's what they know. Yeah. And for those companies that are out there today that aren't, the Gen A's aren't their customer yet, they still need to study them for Absolutely. their future strategic yeah. planning process, right? It, exactly right. So, you know, one of the mistakes I saw was, and again, I I love the soil, the, the Subway brand. I'm still loyal to the brand. But one of the mistakes they made, if you look at the history of their sales from 2013 to 2017, uh, they had four or five consecutive down years. They Their reaction was, well, then we need to start doing some more couponing and discounting. Well, that didn't help them at all. Traffic continued to go down. Sales continued to fall. Profits obviously became abysmal. And when I take a look at the historical data, what it appears is that they failed to keep up with the right generations. So when I became a franchisee 20, 25 years ago, they said, hey, we want to focus on 18 to 34-year-old males. Okay, great. Well, the problem was they continued to focus on that, that group as that group got older and forgot the, the generations that were coming up behind them and how you have to fodder that generation and, you know, plant the seed, fertilize the seed, expect to harvest. Uh, and now they're reversing, you know, their trends and, and, and their sales and their traffic counts through identifying who is our key target demo today, who is it going to be tomorrow, and focusing their marketing efforts and branding efforts on both of those right now. Yeah, it still could be 18 to 34 years old. That's not the, the right. We're, we're not, you're not disputing that. It's just that that generation's different than the previous 18 to 34 right. year old generation was. Exactly. And I find this is, um, I find this is fascinating because in sales, we need to understand that. And we need to understand that very, very well and look at the demographic of who we're targeting and then how that's changed over the years. You know, I'm, I, work a lot in the those that are in the boomer generation and that's a completely different generation compared to the greatest generation that lived just before them which were their parents so right. now it's how do we market to and brand to the boomer generation which then we're going to be moving into millennials and gen x's and etc so we're constantly shifting and constantly changing boomers today are more educated social media wise than obviously the greatest generation that ever lived and the generations to come are even going to be more and more so we in certain sectors need to start transitioning to that just a little bit more this is this could be a, another complete podcast all by itself as both <laughs> of us kind of wrap our arms around this right. na that's coming coming on board right now which is fascinating because i've got grandchildren that are in Gen A. So I can, I'm going to start to look at them and watch what they're doing a little bit more so I can be attuned to that, you know, so it'll be great. Right. All right. So let's put your, if you don't mind, can we put your CEO hat on for just a second? Sure. Okay. So there, you've got so much, you've got such a great experience, rich experience, and there are CEOs that are going to be listening to this that I just want them to be able to glean some things from you. So if if you were to give them some advice, if you will, um, maybe what are some of the few self-disciplines that they they have to put in place and maybe even some things that they should stop doing today? What, what, what would you say to them? 
you know, boy, to me, it's all about people. Mm-hmm. Business is about people. Um, as a leader, you have people to lead. As a consumer, you have people to sell to. Uh, things are manufactured by people. It's all about people. And it's about providing your team, those people with with challenges, helping them grow professionally uh, and shaping them to accomplish that which is important to them personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's to me what a a CEO's focus should be is, of course, we have to sell this product. Of course, we need to keep our financials where they need to be and everything in line. But the people is what makes the difference in every step of the way. Mm -hmm. When we started off this podcast talking about structure and processes, what good are structures and processes if those people don't exist to put them into place? Right. And the opposite is what good are those processes and structures if there aren't people to create the right ones? Um, so it, it all comes down to people. Um, one of the things I, I have learned throughout my years is I've encountered a lot of different people. One time I had almost 1,500 people on my team to oversee And one of the really cool aspects I learned early on was most people want a challenge that's not so crazy that they can't hit it, but a challenge that does stretch them a little bit Mm -hmm. um, because it's it gives them a challenge, gives them something motivated to do or to to strive toward, as well as what we've learned in a restaurant business is there are some who will say, yes, I want to grow with the company and I want to take on new challenges and, and roles. But there are far more, at least in, say, the QSR industry, of people who don't come forward and say that they want more responsibility. And so we'll sit down and do a yearly evaluation and find out, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? Well, you didn't ask me to. Hmm. But if I'd asked them or gave them the challenge, they would have stepped up to that because they do want to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, unfortunately, shame on us CEOs who haven't truly provided um, uh, a pool of growth opportunity for our staff mm-hmm. because right now the labor pool is obviously uh, it's just extremely difficult right now, especially in the restaurant industry and so forth. And many times we're just asking somebody to come and work to perform these tasks instead of saying, we want you to perform these tasks, but we want to provide you a path to another level of income and knowledge yeah. base and responsibility. Yeah. Agreed. No, that's great. You're you're really you're really speaking to my heart there because I like you, I believe the generations have changed and I believe we can not employ this generation of new new folks into our in, into our space, into our uh, corporations with yesterday's model of how those people uh those people engage with evaluations and performance evaluations. And I always go back to this, you know, I was in the Air Force. I got a an Airman Performance Review, APR, every single year, faithfully, every single year. Well, it was commanded down to the guy that was over my branch that I was in. So he had no choice. Well, that today is still in place, but it's once a year. And I don't think that fits today's airman, uh, today's army grunt or anybody else, or for that fact, any employee that's out there, because these are young men and young women who in school, in school, your daughters, my sons, we were getting updates on them every nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And we expect an annual performance evaluation to be enough. Right. Sorry. 
it, it's it's counterintuitive to what they've they they've lived through elementary school, high school, and if they've gone on to college. Well, so we've got to change that just a little bit. And business changes so much more quickly and more dramatically today than it ever has before. So why wouldn't there be more frequent evaluations? You know, one of the uh, one of the key aspects in our company and with board work that I do and so forth is truly helping young leader leadership and management people understand empowerment management style. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me personally, when we receive, when we uh, have take on a new store manager or a district manager, one of the phrases I love to tell them is, I really hope you make some mistakes this year. Mm-hmm. And they look at me pretty befuddled and sometimes their mouth is kind of open like, what? <laughs> and I say, hey, so this is what I mean by that is I want you to try new things. I want you to try to streamline. I want you to try a new tip or technique to make something better, more efficient, or to become more proficient. And um, this this cliche or phrase that I've used over and over again, it still holds true today, and it it always will. And that was Henry Ford, who said, if you always do what you have always done, you'll always get what you have always got. And it's so true. And and again, we are in a ever-evolving society that changes all the time and our business changes all the time and our consumer behavior changes all the time. Uh, The other part too, that I believe CEOs need to be more in tune with is, is more of a servant leadership Mm -hmm. style versus a dictatorial leadership. Mm -hmm. I I worked closely with two different company owners who were dictators. um, And that really took away the, the desire to go above and beyond what this what the role itself was. Uh, you know, some of those individuals who, if it's their idea, it's a great idea. If it's your idea, well, we've got to take that to the team. We've got to run analytics on this. I'm just not sure right now is the right time. And when you start going back as a servant leader, we're actually supposed to serve our people, our team members, mm-hmm. not the vice, you know, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even had this conversation with a couple of large uh, franchise brands speaking to the franchisors that do not consider the end consumer your ideal customer. Consider your franchisee mm-hmm. your ideal customer, because if the franchisor is focused on making sure that the franchise franchisee continually makes a good profit, increases that profit, increases sales, increases more customers in the businesses doing and doing everything they can for their franchisees to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that franchisee, it's just going to trickle right down to their team mm-hmm. and then trickles right down to the end consumer who sees that they are happy, that they're profitable, that they're growing and scaling business. And it's Absolutely. unfortunately too many franchisors are more about we're going to increase our royalties. We're going to focus on our bottom line. And it's a trend that needs to, it needs to uh, turn around. Absolutely. No, this is great, great, great information. We've already talked that this will not be the last podcast that we do by any means, because I've already got like three topics off of this one that I know we could address and spend a good 25, to 30 minutes trying to bring to the, 
to the folks that are listening. So Jim, thanks so very, very much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you just sharing your wisdom and your, your knowledge that you've got and just some insight that I think some of our listeners will really hold on to and use as they go forward. Um, so let me, let me kind of close us out. So thanks folks really sincerely for listening to today's Beyond the Sale podcast. You know, we believe that information without application leads to frustration, that sales profession is a job and not just a job, right? We do have to work it, but it's not just a job. And investing in your sales career, actually folks, that is and will always drive your success. So please, friend, make today and make this week productive and not just active. You know, bring, if you're a salesperson, why not try this week? Bring content and not calories. Let's bring information that will make the customers that we're addressing make a solution work for them better instead of bringing them food or calories or other things like that. And by the way, folks, I really hope you'll tune in and stay in touch with us. We're going to have some more podcasts coming up later on this month, and we'll look forward to speaking with you then. Have a great rest of your week.